At his last words, a bird flew past on the right, a hawk. Apollo's wind-swift herald, tight in his claws, a struggling dove, and he ripped its feathers out, and they drifted down to earth between the ship and the young prince himself. The prophet called him aside, clear of his men, and grasped his hand, exclaiming, Look, Telemachus, the will of God just winged that bird on your right. Why, the moment I saw it here before my eyes, I knew it was a sign. No line more kingly than yours in all of Ithaca. Yours will reign for ever. If only, friend, alert Telemachus answered, all you say comes true. You'd soon know my affection, know my gifts. Any man you meet would call you blessed. He turned to a trusted friend and said, Piraeus, son of Clitius, you are the one who's done my bidding, more than all other friends who sailed with me to Pylos. Please take this guest of mine to your own house. Treat him kindly, host him with all good will, till I can come myself. Of course, Telemachus, Piraeus the gallant spearman offered warmly. Stay up country just as long as you like. I'll tend the man. He'll never lack a lodging. Piraeus boarded ship and told the crew to embark at once and cast off cables quickly. They swung aboard and sat to the oars in ranks. Telemachus fastened rawhide sandals on his feet and took from the decks his rugged bronze-tipped spear. The men cast off, pushed out, and pulled for town, as Telemachus ordered King Odysseus's son. The prince strode out briskly, legs speeding him on till he reached the farm, where his great droves of pigs crowded their pens, and the loyal swineherd often slept beside them, always the man to serve his masters well. Book 16 Father and Son As dawn came into the lodge, the king and loyal swineherd set out breakfast, once they had raked the fire up and got the herdsmen off with droves of pigs. And now, Telemachus. The howling dogs went nuzzling up around him, not a growl as he approached. From inside, Odysseus noticed the pack's quiet welcome, noticed the light tread of the light too, and turned to Eumaeus quickly, winged a word. Eumaeus, here comes a friend of yours, I'd say. Someone you know, at least. The pack's not barking, must be fawning around him. I can hear his footfall. The words were still on his lips when his own son stood in the doorway there. The swineherd started up, amazed. He dropped the bowls with a clatter. He'd been busy mixing ruddy wine. Straight to the prince he rushed and kissed his face and kissed his shining eyes, both hands, as the tears rolled down his cheeks. As a father, brimming with love, welcomes home his darling only son in a warm embrace. What pain he's borne for him and him alone. Home now, in the tenth year from far abroad. So the loyal swineherd hugged the beaming prince. He clung for dear life, covering him with kisses. Yes, like one escaped from death. Eumaeus swept and sobbed. His words flew from the heart. You're home, Telemachus, sweet light of my eyes. I never thought I'd see you again once you'd shipped to Pylos. Quick, dear boy, come in. Let me look at you, look to my heart's content, under my own roof, the rover, home at last. You rarely visit the farm and men these days, always keeping to town, as if it cheered you to see them there, that infernal crowd of suitors. Have it your way, thoughtful Telemachus replied. Dear old man, it's all for you that I've come to see you for myself and learn the news. 
whether mother still holds out in the halls, or some other man has married her at last, and Odysseus, his bed, I suppose, is lying empty, blanketed now with filthy cobwebs. Surely, the foreman of men responded, she's still waiting there in your halls, poor pawn, suffering so, her life an endless hardship, wasting away the nights, weeping away the days. With that, he took the bronze spear from the boy, and Telemachus, crossing the stone doorsill, went inside the lodge. As he approached, his father Odysseus rose to yield his seat, but the son on his part waved him back. Stay where you are, stranger. I know we can find another seat somewhere here on our farm, and here's the man to fetch it. So Odysseus, moving back, sat down once more. And now for the prince the swineherd strewed a bundle of fresh green brushwood, topped it off with sheepskin, and there the true son of Odysseus took his place. Eumaeus set before them platters of roast meat, left from the meal he'd had the day before. He promptly served them bread, heaped in baskets, mixed their hearty wine in a wooden bowl, and then sat down himself to face the king. They reached for the good things that lay at hand, and when they'd put aside desire for food and drink, Telemachus asked his loyal servingman at last, Old friend, where does this stranger come from? Why did the sailors land him here in Ithaca? Who did they say they are? I hardly think he came this way on foot. You answered him, Eumaeus, loyal swineherd. Here, my boy, I'll tell you the whole true story. He hails from Crete's broad land, he's proud to say, but he claims he's drifted round through countless towns of men roaming the earth, so a god spun out his fate. He just now broke away from some Thesprotian ship and came to my farm. I put him in your hands. You tend to him as you like. He counts on you, he says, for care and shelter. Shelter, oh, Eumaeus, Telemachus replied. That word of yours, it cuts me to the quick. How can I lend the stranger refuge in my house? I'm young myself. I can hardly trust my hands to fight off any man who rises up against me. And my mother's wavering, always torn two ways, whether to stay with me and care for the household, true to her husband's bed, the people's voice as well, or leave at long last with the best man in Achaea who courts her in the halls, who offers her the most. But our new guest, since he's arrived at your house, I'll give him a shirt and cloak to wear, good clothing, give him a two-edged sword and sandals for his feet, and send him off, wherever his heart desires. Or if you'd rather, keep him here at the farmstead, tend to him here and I'll send up the clothes and full rations to keep the man in food. He'll be no drain on you and all your men. But I can't let him go down and join the suitors. They're far too abusive, reckless, know no limits. They'll make a mockery of him. That would break my heart. It's hard for a man to win his way against a mob, even a man of iron. They are much too strong. Friend, the long-enduring Odysseus stepped in. Surely it's right for me to say a word at this point. My heart, by God, is torn to pieces hearing this, both of you telling how these reckless suitors there in your own house against your will plot your ruin, a fine young prince like you. Tell me, though, do you let yourself be so abused? Or do people round about, stirred up by the prompting of some god, despise you? Or are your brothers at fault? Brothers, a man can trust to fight beside him, true, no matter what deadly blood feud rages on. Would I were young as you to match my spirit now, or I were the son of great Odysseus, or the king himself, returning from all his roving? There's still room for hope. 
Then let some foreigner lop my head off if I fail to march right into Odysseus's royal halls and kill them all. And what if I went down, crushed by their numbers, I fighting alone? I'd rather die cut down in my own house than have to look on at their outrage day by day. Guests treated to blows, men dragging the serving women through the noble house, exploiting them all, no shame, and the gushing wine swilled, the food squandered, gorging for gorging's sake, and the courting game goes on, no end in sight. You're right, my friend, sober Telemachus agreed. Now let me tell you the whole story, first to last. It's not that all our people have turned against me, keen for a showdown. Nor have I any brothers at fault, brothers a man can trust to fight beside him true, no matter what deadly blood feud rages on. Zeus made our line a line of only sons. Arcesius had only one son, Laertes, and Laertes had only one son, Odysseus, and I'm Odysseus's only son. He fathered me, he left me behind at home, and from me he got no joy. So now our house is plagued by swarms of enemies, all the nobles who rule the islands round about, Dulichion and Sami, and wooded Zacynthus too, and all who lord it in rocky Ithaca as well, down to the last man. They court my mother, they lay waste my house, and mother, she neither rejects a marriage she despises, nor can she bear to bring the courting to an end, while they continue to bleed my household white. Soon, you wait, they'll grind me down as well but all lies in the lap of the great gods. Eumaeus, good old friend, go quickly to wise Penelope. Tell her I'm home from Pylos, safe and sound. I'll stay on right here, but you come back as soon as you've told the news. To her alone, no other Achaean must hear. All too many plot to take my life. I know, you assured your prince, Eumaeus, loyal swineherd. I see your point. There's sense in this old head, one thing more, and make your orders clear. On the same trip do I go and give the news to King Laertes, too? For many years, poor man, heartsick for his son. He'd always keep an eye on the farm and take his meals with the hired hands, whenever he felt the urge to. Now from the day you sailed away to Pylos, not a sip or a bite he's touched, they say. Not as he did before, and his eyes are shut to all the farmyard labours. Huddled over, groaning in grief and tears, he wastes away the man's all skin and bones. So much the worse, Telemachus answered firmly. Leave him alone, though it hurts us now, we must. If men could have all they want, free for the taking, I'd take first my father's journey home. So you go and give the message, then come back. No roaming over the fields to find Laertes. Tell my mother to send her housekeeper fast as she can in secret. She can give the poor old man the news. That roused Eumaeus. The swineherd grasped his sandals, strapped them onto his feet, and made for town. His exit did not escape Athena's notice. Approaching closer now, she appeared a woman, beautiful, tall and skilled at weaving lovely things. Just at the shelter's door she stopped, visible to Odysseus, but Telemachus could not see her, Sense her there, the gods don't show themselves to every man alive. Odysseus saw her, so did the dogs. No barking now, they whimpered, cringing away in terror through the yard. She gave a sign with her brows, Odysseus caught it, out of the lodge he went, and past the high stockade, 
and stood before the goddess. Athena urged him on. Royal son of Laertes, Odysseus, old campaigner, now is the time. Now tell your son the truth. Hold nothing back, so the two of you can plot the suitor's doom, and then set out for town. I myself won't lag behind you long. I'm blazing for a battle. Athena stroked him with her golden wand. First she made the cloak and shirt on his body fresh and clean, then made him taller, supple, young. His ruddy tan came back, the cut of his jawline firmed, and the dark beard clustered black around his chin. Her work complete, she went her way once more, and Odysseus returned to the lodge. His own son gazed at him, wonderstruck, terrified too, turning his eyes away. Suddenly, this must be some god and he let fly with a burst of exclamations. Friend, you're a new man. Not what I saw before. Your clothes, they've changed. Even your skin has changed. Surely you are some god who rules the vaulting skies. Oh, be kind, and we will give you offerings, gifts of hammered gold to warm your heart. Spare us, please, I beg you. No, I am not a god. The long-enduring great Odysseus returned. Why confuse me with one who never dies? No, I am your father, the Odysseus you wept for all your days. You bore a world of pain, the cruel abuse of men. And with those words, Odysseus kissed his son, and the tears streamed down his cheeks and wet the ground. Though before he'd always reined his emotions back, but still not convinced that it was his father, Telemachus broke out, wild with disbelief. No, you're not Odysseus, not my father, just some spirit spell binding me now to make me ache with sorrow all the more. Impossible for a mortal to work such marvels, not with his own devices, not unless some god comes down in person eager to make that mortal young or old like that. Why, just now you were old and wrapped in rags, but now, look, you seem like a god who rules the skies up there. Telemachus, Odysseus, man of exploits, urged his son, it's wrong to marvel, carried away in wonder so at sight of your father here before your eyes. No other Odysseus will ever return to you. That man and I are one, the man you see. Here, after many hardships, endless wanderings, after twenty years, I have come home to native ground at last. My changing so. Athena's work, the fighter's queen. She has that power, she makes me look as she likes. Now like a beggar, the next moment a young man, decked out in handsome clothes about my body. It's light work for the gods who rule the skies to exalt a mortal man or bring him low. At that, Odysseus sat down again. Telemachus threw his arms around his great father, sobbing uncontrollably as the deep desire for tears welled up in both. They cried out shrilling cries, pulsing sharper than birds of prey, eagles, vultures with hooked claws, when farmers plunder their nest of young too young to fly. Both men so filled with compassion, eyes streaming tears, that now the sunlight would have set upon their cries. If Telemachus had not asked his father all at once, What sort of ship, dear father, brought you here? Ithaca, at last. Who did the sailors say they are? I hardly think you came back home on foot. 
So long an exile, great Odysseus replied, Surely, my son, I'll tell you the whole story now. The Asians brought me here, the famous sailors who ferry home all men who reach their shores. They sailed me across the sea in their swift ship. They set me down in Ithaca, sound asleep, and gave me glittering gifts, bronze and hordes of gold and robes. All I stowed in a cave, thanks to the gods' help. And Athena's inspiration spurred me here, now so we could plan the slaughter of our foes. Come, give me the full tally of these suitors. I must see their numbers, gauge their strength. Then I'll deploy this old tactician's wits. Decide if the two of us can take them on alone without allies, or we should hunt reserves to back us up. Father, clear-headed Telemachus countered quickly, all my life I've heard of your great fame. A brave man in war and a deep mind in counsel, but what you say dumbfounds me, staggers imagination. How on earth could two men fight so many and so strong? These suitors are not just ten or twenty, they're far more. You count them up for yourself now. Take a moment. From Dulichian, fifty-two of them, picked young men, six servants in their troop. From Sami, twenty-four. From Zakynthus, twenty Achaeans, nobles all, and the twelve best lords from Ithaca itself. Mead and the heralds with them, a gifted bard, and two henchmen, skilled to carve their meat. If we pit ourselves against all these in the house, I fear the revenge you come back home to take will recoil on our heads, a bitter, deadly blow. Think, can you come up with a friend in arms, some man to fight beside us, some brave heart? Let me tell you, the old soldier said, bear it in mind now, listen to me closely. Think. Will Athena, flanked by Father Zeus, do for the two of us? Or shall I rack my brains for another champion? Telemachus answered shrewdly, full of poise. Two great champions, those you name, it's true. Off in the clouds they sit, and they lord it over gods and mortal men. Trust me, his seasoned father reassured him. They won't hold off long from the cries and clash of battle, not when we and the suitors put our fighting strength to proof in my own halls. But now, with daybreak, home you go and mix with that overbearing crowd. The swineherd will lead me into the city later, looking old and broken, a beggar once again. If they abuse me in the palace, Steal yourself, no matter what outrage I must suffer, even if they drag me through our house by the heels and throw me out or pelt me with things they hurl, you just look on. Endure it. Prompt them to quit their wild, reckless ways. Try to win them over with friendly words. Those men will never listen. Now the day of doom is hovering at their heads. One more thing. Take it to heart, I urge you. When Athena, queen of tactics, tells me it is time, I'll give you a nod, and when you catch that signal, round up all the deadly weapons kept in the hall, stow them away upstairs, in a storeroom's deep recess, all the arms and armor, and when the suitors miss them and ask you questions, put them off with a winning story. I stowed them away, clear of the smoke. A far cry from the arms Odysseus left when he went to Troy, fire-damaged equipment black with reeking fumes, and a god reminded me of something darker too. When you're in your cups, a quarrel might break out. You'd wound each other, shame your feasting here, and cast a pall on your courting. Iron has powers to draw a man to ruin. 
Just you leave a pair of swords for the two of us, a pair of spears and a pair of oxide bucklers right at hand, so we can break for the weapons. Seize them. Then Athena, Zeus in his wisdom, they will daze the suitor's wits. Now, one last thing, bear it in mind. You must, if you are my own true son, born of my blood, let no one hear that Odysseus has come home. Don't let Laertes know. Not Eumaeus either, none in the household, not Penelope herself. You and I alone will assess the women's mood, and we might test a few of the serving men as well, where are the ones who still respect us both, who hold us in awe, and who shirk their duties, slighting you because you are so young. Soon enough, father, his gallant son replied, you'll sense the courage inside me that I know. I'm hardly a flighty, weak-willed boy these days. But I think your last plan would gain us nothing. Reconsider, I urge you. You'll waste time roaming around our holdings, probing the field hands man by man, while the suitors sit at ease in our house, devouring all our goods. Those brazen rascals never spare a scrap. But I do advise you to sound the women out, who are disloyal to you, who are guiltless. The men... I say no to testing them farm by farm. That's work for later, if you have really seen a sign from Zeus whose shield is storm and thunder. Now, as father and son conspired, shaping plans, the ship that brought the prince and shipmates back from Pylos was just approaching Ithaca, home port. As soon as they put into the harbour's deep bay, they hauled the black vessel up onto dry land, and eager deckhands bore away their gear and rushed the priceless gifts to Clitius's house. But they sent a herald on to Odysseus's halls at once to give the news to a thoughtful, cautious Penelope that Telemachus, was home. Just up country now, but he told his mates to sail across to port, so the, so the noble queen would not be with fright and break down in tears. And now those two men met, Harold and Swineherd, both out on the same errand to give the queen the news, but once they reached the house of the royal king, the herald strode up into the serving women's midst and burst out, Your beloved son, my queen, is home at last. Eumaeus, though, bending close to Penelope, whispered every word that her dear son entrusted him to say. Message told in full, he left the halls and precincts, heading for his pigs. But the news shook the suitors, dashed their spirits. Out of the halls they crowded, past the high-walled court, and there before the gates they sat in council. Polybus's son Eurymachus opened up among them. Friends, what a fine piece of work he has carried off. Telemachus, what insolence, and we thought his little jaunt would come to grief. Up now, launch a black ship the best we can, muster a crew of oarsmen, row the news to our friends in ambush fast, bring them back at once. And just then, he'd not quite finished, when Amphinomus, wheeling round in his seat, saw their vessel moored in the deep harbour, their comrades striking sail and hoisting oars. He broke into heady laughter, called his friends. No need for a message now, they're home. Look there. Some god gave them the news, or they saw the prince's ship go sailing past and fail to overtake her. Rising, all trooped down to the water's edge as the crew hauled the vessel up onto dry land and the hot-blooded hands bore off their gear. Then, in a pack, they went to the meeting grounds. 
suffering no one else, young or old, to sit among them. Eupythes' son Antinous rose and harangued them all. What a blow! See how the gods have saved this boy from bloody death! And our lookouts all day long, stationed atop the windy heights, kept watch, shift on shift, and once the sun went down, we'd never sleep the night ashore, never, always aboard our swift ship, cruising till dawn, patrolling to catch Telemachus, kill him on the spot, and all the while some spirit whisked him home. So here at home we'll plot his certain death. He must never slip through our hands again, that boy. While he still lives, I swear we'll never bring our venture off. That clever little schemer, he does have his skills, and the crowds no longer show us favour, not at all. So act. Before he can gather his people in assembly, he'll never give an inch, I know. He'll rise and rage away, shouting out to them all how we, we schemed his sudden death, but never caught him. Hearing of our foul play, they'll hardly sing our praises. Why, they might do us damage, run us off our lands, drive us abroad to hunt for strangers' shores. Strike first, I say, and kill him. Clear of town, in the fields, or on the road. Then we'll seize his estates and worldly goods, carve them up between us, share and share alike. But as for his palace, let his mother keep it. She and the man she weds. There's my plan. If you find it offensive, if you want him living on in full command of his patrimony, gather here no more, then, living the life of kings, consuming all his wealth. Each from his own house must try to win her, showering her with gifts. Then she could marry the one who offers most, the man marked out by fate to be her husband. That brought them all to a hushed, stunned silence, till Amphinomus rose to have his say among them. The noted son of Nisus, King Aresius's grandson, the chief who led the suitors from Dulichian, land of grass and grains, and the man who pleased Penelope the most. Thanks to his timely words and good, clear sense. Concerned for their welfare now, he stood and argued, Friends, I've no desire to kill Telemachus, not I. It's a terrible thing to shed the blood of kings. Wait. Sound out the will of the gods, that first. If the decrees of mighty Zeus commend the work, I'll kill the prince myself and spare on all the rest. If the gods are against it, then I say, hold back. So Amphinomus urged and won them over. They rose at once, returned to Odysseus's palace, entered and took their seats on burnished chairs. But now an inspiration took the discreet Penelope to face her suitors, brutal, reckless men. The queen had heard it all, how they plotted inside the house to kill her son. The herald Medan told her he'd overheard their schemes, and so, flanked by her ladies, she descended to the hall. That luster of women, once she reached her suitors, drawing her glistening veil across her cheeks, paused now where a column propped the sturdy roof, and wheeling on Antinous, cried out against him, You, Antinous! Violent, vicious, scheming! You, they say, are the best man your age in Ithaca, best for eloquence, counsel, you're nothing of the sort. Madman, why do you weave destruction for Telemachus? Show no pity to those who need it, those over whom almighty Zeus stands guard. It's wrong, unholy, yes. 
weaving death for those who deserve your mercy. Don't you know how your father fled here once? A fugitive, terrified of the people, up in arms against him, because he'd joined some Taffian pirates, out to attack Thrispotians, sworn allies of ours. The mobs were set to destroy him, rip his life out, devour his vast wealth to their heart's content, but Odysseus held them back. He kept their fury down. And this is the man whose house you waste, scot-free, whose wife you caught, whose son you mean to kill. You make my life an agony. Stop, I tell you, stop all this, and make the rest stop too. But Polybus's son Eurymachus tried to calm her. Wise Penelope, daughter of Icarius, courage. Disabuse yourself of all these worries now. That man is not alive. He never will be. He never can be born. Who will lift a hand against Telemachus, your son? Not while I walk the land, and I can see the light. I tell you this, so help me, it will all come true. In an instant that man's blood will spurt around my spear. My spear, since time and again Odysseus dandled me on his knees, the great raider of cities fed me roasted meat and held the red wine to my lips. So to me your son is the dearest man alive, and I urge the boy to have no fear of death, not from the suitors at least. What comes from the gods, there's no escaping that. Encouraging all the way, but all the while plotting the prince's murder in his mind. The queen, going up to her lofty, well-lit room, fell to weeping for Odysseus, her beloved husband, till watchful Athena sealed her eyes with welcome sleep. Returning just at dusk to Odysseus and his son, the loyal swineherd found they'd killed a yearling pig, and standing over it now were busy fixing supper. But Athena had approached Laertes' son Odysseus, tapped him with her wand, and made him old again. She dressed him in filthy rags, too, for fear Eumaeus, recognizing his master face to face, might hurry back to shrewd Penelope, blurting out the news, and never hide the secret in his heart. Telemachus was the first to greet the swineherd. Welcome home, my friend. What's the talk in town? Are the swaggering suitors back from ambush yet? or still waiting to catch me coming home. You answered the prince, Eumaeus, loyal swineherd. I had no time to go roaming all through town, digging round for that. My heart raced me on to get my message told and rush back here. But I met up with a fast runner there, sent by your crew, a herald, first to tell your mother all the news, and this I know I saw with my own eyes. I was just above the city, heading home, clambering over Hermes Ridge, when I caught sight of a trim ship pulling into the harbour, loaded down with a crowd aboard her, shields and two-edged spears. I think they're the men you're after. I'm not sure. At that the young prince Telemachus smiled, glancing toward his father, avoiding Eumaeus's eyes. And now, with the roasting done, the meal set out, they ate well, and no one's hunger lacked a proper share of supper. When they'd put aside desire for food and drink, they remembered bed and took the gift of sleep. Book 17 Stranger at the Gates
When young Dawn with her rose-red fingers shone once more, Telemachus strapped his rawhide sandals to his feet, and the young prince, the son of King Odysseus, picked up the rugged spear that fit his grip, and striking out for the city, told his swineherd, I'm off to town, old friend, to present myself to mother. She'll never stop her bitter tears and mourning, well I know, till she sees me face to face, and for you I have some orders. Take this luckless stranger to town so he can beg his supper there, and whoever wants can give the man some crumbs and a cup to drink. How can I put up with every passer-by? My mind's weighed down with troubles. If the stranger resents it, all the worse for him. I like to tell the truth and tell it straight. My friend, subtle Odysseus broke in, I've no desire myself to linger here. Better that beggars catch their meals in town than in the fields. Some willing soul will see to my needs. I'm hardly fit at my age to keep to a farm and jump to a foreman's every order. Go on, then. This man will take me, as you've told him. Once I'm warm from the fire— and the sun's good and strong. Look at the clothing on my back, all rags and tatters. I'm afraid the frost at dawn could do me in, and town, you say, is a long, hard way from here. At that, Telemachus strode down through the farm in quick, firm strides, brooding death for the suitors. And once he reached his well-constructed palace, propping his spear against a sturdy pillar, and crossing the stone threshold, in he went. His old nurse was the first to see him, Eurycleia, just spreading fleeces over the carved inlaid chairs. Tears sprang to her eyes. She rushed straight to the prince as the other maids of great Odysseus flocked around him, hugged him warmly, kissed his head and shoulders. Now down from her chamber came discreet Penelope, looking for all the world like Artemis or golden Aphrodite. Bursting into tears as she flung her arms around her darling son and kissed his face and kissed his shining eyes and sobbed, You're home, Telemachus. Words flew from her heart. Sweet light of my eyes, I never thought I'd see you again. Once you shipped to Pylos against my will, so secret out for news of your dear father. Quick, tell me, did you catch sight of the man? Meet him? What? Please, mother. Steadied, Telemachus replied, don't move me to tears. Don't stir the heart inside me. I've just escaped from death, sudden death. No. Bathe now. Put on some fresh clothes. Go up to your own room with your serving women. Pray and promise the gods a generous sacrifice to bring success, if Zeus will ever grant us the hour of our revenge. I myself am off to the meeting grounds to summon up a guest who came with me from abroad when I sailed home. I sent him on ahead with my trusted crew. I told Piraeus to take him to his house, treat him well, host him with all good will, till I could come myself. Words to the mark that left his mother silent. She bathed now, put on some fresh clothes, prayed, and promised the gods a generous sacrifice to bring success if Zeus would ever grant the hour of their revenge. Spear in hand, Telemachus strode on through the hall and out, and a pair of sleek hounds went trotting at his heels. And Athena lavished a marvellous splendour on the prince, so the people all gazed in wonder as he came forward. The swaggering suitors clustered, milling round him, welcome words on their lips and murder in their hearts.
that he gave them a wide berth as they came crowding in, and there where Mentor sat, Antiphus, Halithesis too, his father's loyal friends from the early days, he took his seat, as they pressed him with their questions. And just then Piraeus, the gallant spearman, approached, leading the stranger through the town and out onto the meeting grounds. Telemachus, not hanging back, went right up to greet Theoclymenus, his guest. But Piraeus spoke out first, quickly now, Telemachus, send some women to my house to retrieve the gifts that Menelaus gave you. Wait, Piraeus, wary Telemachus cautioned. We've no idea how all of this will go. If the brazen suitors cut me down in the palace, off guard, and carve apart my father's whole estate, I'd rather you yourself or one of his friends here keep those gifts and get some pleasure from them. But if I can bring down slaughter on that crew, you send the gifts to my house. We'll share the joy. Their plans made, he led the wayworn stranger home, and once they reached the well-constructed palace, spreading out their cloaks on a chair or bench, into the burnished tubs they climbed and bathed. When women had washed them, rubbed them down with oil, and drawn warm fleece and shirts around their shoulders, out of the baths they stepped and sat on high-backed chairs. A maid brought water soon, in a graceful golden pitcher, and over a silver basin tipped it out so they might rinse their hands, then pulled a gleaming table to their side. A staid housekeeper brought on bread to serve them, appetizers aplenty too, lavish with her bounty. Penelope sat across from her son beside a pillar, leaning back on a low chair and winding fine-spun yarn. They reached out for the good things that lay at hand, and when they'd put aside desire for food and drink, the queen, for all her composure, said at last, Telemachus, I'm going back to my room upstairs and lie down on my bed. That bed of pain my tears have streaked year in, year out from the day Odysseus sailed away to Troy with Atreus's two sons. But you, you never had the heart before those insolent suitors crowd back to the house to tell me clearly about your father's journey home, if you've heard any news. Of course, mother, thoughtful Telemachus reassured her quickly, I will tell you the whole true story now. We sailed to Pylos, to Nestor, the great king, and he received me there in his lofty palace, treated me well and warmly, yes, as a father treats a long-lost son just home from voyaging, years abroad. Such care he showered on me, he and his noble sons. But of strong, enduring Odysseus, dead or alive, he's heard no news, he said, from any man on earth. He sent me on to the famous spearman Atrides Menelaus, on with a team of horses drawing a bolted chariot, and there I saw her, Helen of Argos. All for her, Achaeans and Trojans suffered so much hardship, thanks to the gods' decree. The lord of the war cry Menelaus asked at once what pressing need had brought me to lovely Lacedaemon, and when I told him the whole story first to last, the king burst out, How shameful! That's the bed of a brave man of war they'd like to crawl inside, those spineless craven cowards. Weak as the doe that beds down her fawns in a mighty lion's den, her newborn sucklings, then trails off to the mountain spurs and grassy bends to graze her fill, but back the lion comes to his own lair, and the master deals both fawns a ghastly bloody death. Just what Odysseus will deal that mob, ghastly death. 
Ah, if only Father Zeus, Athena, and Lord Apollo, that man who years ago in the games at Lesbos rose to Philemelides' challenge, wrestled him, pinned him down with one tremendous throw, and the Argives roared with joy, if only that Odysseus sported with those suitors, a blood wedding, a quick death would take the lot. But about the things you've asked me so intently, I'll skew and sidestep nothing, not deceive you ever. Of all he told me, the old man of the sea who never lies, I'll hide or hold back nothing, not a single word. He said he'd seen Odysseus on an island, ground down in misery, off in a goddess's house, the nymph Calypso, who holds him there by force. He has no way to voyage home to his own native land, no trim ships in reach, no crew to ply the oars, and set him scudding over the seas brought back. So Menelaus, the famous spearman, told me. My mission accomplished. Back I came at once, and the gods sent me a stiff following wind that sped me home to the native land I love. His reassurance stirred the queen to her depths, and the godlike seer, Theoclymenus, added firmly, Noble lady, wife of Laetes' son Odysseus, Menelaus can have no perfect revelations, Mark my words, I will make you a prophecy, quite precise, and I'll hold nothing back. I swear by Zeus, the first of all the gods, by this table of hospitality here, my host, by Odysseus's hearth, where I have come for help, I swear, Odysseus is on native soil here and now, poised or on the prowl, learning of these rank crimes, he's sowing seeds of ruin for all your suitors. So clear, so true, that bird sign I saw as I sat on the benched ship and sounded out the future to the prince. If only, my friend, reserved Penelope exclaimed, everything you say would come to pass. You'd soon know my affection, know my gifts. Any man you meet would call you blessed. And so the three confided in the halls, while all the suitors before Odysseus's palace amused themselves with discus and long-throwing spears, out on the levelled grounds, free and easy as always, full of swagger. When the dinner hour approached and the sheep came home from pastures near and far, driven in by familiar drovers, Medan called them all, their favourite herald, always present at their meals. My young lords, now you've played your games to your heart's content, come back to the hall so we can fix your supper. Nothing's better than dining well on time. They came at his summons, rising from the games, and now bustling into the well-constructed palace, flinging down their cloaks on a chair or bench, they butchered hulking sheep and fatted goats, full-grown hogs, and a young cow from the herd, preparing for their feast. At the same time, the king and his loyal swineherd geared to leave the country for the town. Eumaeus, foremen of men, set things in motion. Friend, I know you're keen on going down to town today, just as my master bid, though I'd rather you stay here to guard the farm, but I prize the boy. I fear he'll blame me later, addressing down from your master's hard to bear, so off we go now. The shank of the day has passed. You'll find it colder, with nightfall coming on. I know, I see your point, the crafty man replied. There's sense in this old head, so let's be off and from now on you lead me all the way. Just give me a stick to lean on. If you have one ready cut, 
You say the road is treacherous, full of slips and slides. With that he flung his beggar's sack across his shoulders, torn and tattered, slung from a fraying rope. Eumaeus gave him a staff that met his needs, then the two moved out, leaving behind them dogs and herdsmen to stay and guard the farm. And so the servant led his master toward the city, looking for all the world like an old and broken beggar hunched on a stick, his body wrapped in shameful rags. Down over the rugged road they went, till hard by town they reached the stone-rimmed fountain, running clear where the city people came and drew their water. Ithacus built it once, with Neritus and Polycto. Round it a stand of poplar thrived on the dank soil, all in a nestling ring, and down from a rock ledge overhead the cold water splashed, and crowning the fountain rose an altar stone erected to the nymphs, where every traveller paused and left an offering. Here Dolius's son, Melanthius, crossed that path, herding his goats with a pair of drovers' help, the pick of his flocks, to make the suitor's meal. As soon as he saw them there, he broke into a flood of brutal foul abuse that made Odysseus's blood boil. Look, he sneered, one scum nosing another scum along. Dirt finds dirt by the will of God, it never fails, stinking pig boy. Where do you take your filthy swine, this sickening beggar who licks the pots at feasts, hanging round the doorposts, rubbing his back, scavenging after scraps, no hero's swords and cauldrons, not for him. Hand him over to me, I'll teach him to work a farm, muck out my stalls, pitch feed to the young goats, whey to drink will put some muscle on his hams. Oh no, he's learned his lazy ways too well. He's got no itch to stick to good hard work. He'd rather go scrounging round the countryside begging for crusts to stuff his greedy gut. Let me tell you, sir, help me, it's the truth. If he sets foot in King Odysseus's royal palace, Salvos of footstools flung at his head by all the lords will crack his ribs as he runs the line of fire through the house. Wild, reckless taunts, and just as he passed Odysseus, the idiot lurched out with a heel and kicked his hip. But he couldn't knock the beggar off the path, he stood his ground so staunchly. Odysseus was torn. Should he wheel with his staff and beat the scoundrel senseless, or hoist him by the midriff, spit his skull on the rocks? He steeled himself instead, his mind in full control. But Eumaeus glared at the goatherd, cursed him to his face, then lifted up his hands and prayed his heart out. O oh, nymphs of the fountain, daughters of Zeus, if Odysseus ever burned you, the long thighs of lambs or kids covered with rich fat, now bring my prayer to pass. Let that man come back. Some god guide him now. He'd toss to the winds the flashes show you make Melanthius so cocksure, always strutting round the town while worthless field hands leave your flocks a shambles. Listen to him, the goatherd shouted back. All bark and no bite from the vicious mutt. One fine day I'll ship him out in a black lugger miles from Ithaca. Sell him off for a good stiff price. Just let Apollo shoot Telemachus down with his silver bow today in the halls, or the suitors snuff his life out. As sure as I know, the day of the king's return is blotted out. The king is worlds away. With his parting shot, he left them trudging on and went and reached the royal house in no time. Slipping in, he took his seat among the suitors, facing Eurymachus, who favoured him the most. The carver set before him his plate of meat, a staid housekeeper brought the man his bread.
And now at last the king and loyal swineherd drawing near the palace halted just outside, as the lyre's rippling music drifted round them. Phemius, striking up a song for assembled guests, and the master seized his servant's hand, exclaiming, Friend, what a noble house! Odysseus's house it must be, no mistaking it. You could tell it among a townful. Look! One building linked to the next, and the courtyard wall is finished off with a fine coping. The double doors are battle-proof. No man could break them down. I can tell a crowd is feasting there in force. Smell the savour of roasts, the ringing lyre. Listen, the lyre that God has made the friend of feasts. An easy guess, you said, you mere swineherd, for a man as keen as you at every turn. Put heads together, what do we do next? Either you're the first one into the palace, mix with the suitors, leave me where I am, or if you like, stay put and I'll go first myself. Don't linger long, someone might spot you here outside, knock you down or pelt you, mark my words, take care. The man who'd borne long years abroad replied, Well, I know. Remember, there's sense in this old head, you go in, you first, while I stay here behind. Stones and blows and I are hardly strangers. My heart is steeled by now. I've had my share of pain in the waves and wars. Add this to the total. Bring the trial on. But there's no way to hide the belly's hungers. What a curse, what mischief it brews in all our lives. Just for hunger, we rig and ride our long-benched ships on the barren salt sea, speeding death to enemies. Now as they talked on, a dog that lay there lifted up his muzzle, pricked his ears. It was Argos, long-enduring Odysseus's dog. He trained as a puppy once, but little joy he got, since all too soon he shipped to sacred Troy. In the old days young hunters loved to set him coursing after the wild goats and deer and hares, but now with his master gone he lay there, cast away on piles of dung from mules and cattle, heaps collecting out before the gates, till Odysseus's serving men could cut it off to manure the king's estates. Infested with ticks, half dead from neglect, here lay the hound, old Argos. But the moment he sensed Odysseus standing by, he thumped his tail, nuzzling low, and his ears dropped, though he had no strength to drag himself an inch toward his master. Odysseus glanced to the side and flicked away a tear, hiding it from Eumaeus diverting his friend in a hasty, off-hand way. Strange, Eumaeus, look, a dog like this, lying here on a dunghill, what handsome lines! But I can't say for sure if he had the running speed to match his looks, or he was only the sort that gentry spoil at table, show dogs, masters pamper for their points. You told the stranger, Eumaeus, loyal swineherd, here, it's all too true, here's the dog of a man who died in foreign parts. But if he had now the form and flair he had in his glory days, as Odysseus left him, sailing off to Troy, you'd be amazed to see such speed, such strength. No quarry he chased in the deepest, darkest woods could ever slip this hand. A champion tracker, too. Ah, but he's run out of luck now, poor fellow. His master's dead and gone, so far from home, and the heartless women tend him not at all. Slaves with their lords no longer there to crack the whip lose all zest to perform their duties well. 
Zeus, the old thunderer, robs a man of half his virtue the day the yoke clamps down around his neck. With that, he entered the well-constructed palace, strode through the halls and joined the proud suitors. But the dark shadow of death closed down on Argus's eyes the instant he saw Odysseus twenty years away. Now Prince Telemachus, first by far to note the swineherd coming down the hall, nodded briskly, called, and waved him on. Eumaeus, glancing about, picked up a handy stool where the carver always sat, slicing meat for the suitors feasting through the house. He took and put it beside the prince's table facing him, straddled it himself as a steward set a plate of meat before the man and served him bread from trays. Right behind him came Odysseus into his own house, looking for all the world like an old and broken beggar, hunched on a stick, his body wrapped in shameful rags. Just in the doorway, just at the ashwood threshold, there he settled down. Leaning against the cypress post, a master joiner plain smooth and hung with a plumb line years ago. Telemachus motioned the swineherd over now, and choosing a whole loaf from a fine wicker tray, and as much meat as his outstretched hands could hold, he said, Now take these to the stranger, tell him too, to make the rounds of the suitors, beg from one and all. Bashfulness for a man in need is no great friend. And Jumius did his bidding, went straight up to the guest and winged a greeting. Here, stranger, Prince Telemachus sends you these and tells you too to make the rounds of the suitors, beg from one and all. Bashfulness for a beggar, he says, is no great friend. Powerful Zeus, the crafty king responded, grant that your prince be blessed among mankind and all his heart's desires come to pass. Taking the food in both hands, setting it down, spread out on his filthy sack before his feet, the beggar fell to his meal, as the singer raised a song throughout the house. Once he'd supped and the stirring bard had closed, the suitors broke into uproar down along the hall. And now Athena came to the side of Laertes' royal son, and urged him, Go now, gather crusts from all the suitors, test them, so we can tell the innocent from the guilty. But not even so would Athena save one man from death. Still off he went, begging from each in turn, circling left to right, reaching out his hand like a beggar from the day that he was born. They pitied him, gave him scraps, were puzzled too, asking each other, Who is this? Where is he from? Till the goatherd Melanthius shouted out in their midst, Listen to me, you lords who caught our noble queen. I'll tell you about the stranger. I've seen him before. I know for a fact the swineherd led him in though I have no idea who the fellow is or where he thinks he comes from. At that, Antinous wheeled on Eumaeus, lashing out at him. Your Highness, swineherd, why drag this to town? Haven't we got our share of vagabonds to deal with, disgusting beggars who lick the feaster's plates? Isn't it quite enough, these swarming crowds consuming your master's bounty? Must you invite this rascal in the bargain? Antinous, high-born as you are, you told the man, Eumaeus. That was a mean, low speech. Now who'd go out, who on his own hook, not I, and ask a stranger in from nowhere, unless he had some skills to serve the house, a prophet, a healer who cures disease, a worker in wood, or even a God-inspired bard whose singing warms the heart, they're the ones asked in around the world, a beggar, 
Who'd invite a beggar to bleed his household white? You, you of all the suitors, are always roughest on the servants of our king, on me most of all. Not that I care, no, so long as his queen, his wise queen, is still alive in the palace. Prince Telemachus, too. Stop, Eumaeus, poised Telemachus broke in quickly now. Don't waste so much breath on Antinous here. It's just his habit to bait a man with abuse, and spur the rest as well. He wheeled on the suitor, letting loose. How kind you are to me, Antinous, kind as a father to his son, encouraging me to send this stranger packing from my house with a harsh command. I'd never do it. God forbid. Take and give to the beggar. I don't grudge it. I'd even urge you on. No scruples now. Never fear your gifts will upset my mother or any servant in King Odysseus's royal house. But no such qualm could enter that head of yours, bent on feeding your own face, not feeding strangers. Antinous countered the young prince in kind. So high and mighty Telemachus, such unbridled rage. If all the suitors gave him the sort of gift I'll give, the house would be rid of him for three whole months. With that, from under his table he seized the stool that propped his smooth feet as he reveled on, just lifting it into view. But as for the rest, all gave to the beggar, filled his sack with handouts, bread and meat, and Odysseus seemed at the point of getting back to his door-sill, done with testing suitors, home free himself, when he stopped beside Antinous, begging face to face, Give me a morsel, friend. You're hardly the worst Achaean here, it seems. The noblest one, in fact. You look like a king to me. So you should give a bigger crust than the rest, and I will sing your praises all across the earth. I too once lived in a lofty house that men admired, rolling in wealth I'd often give to a vagabond like myself, whoever he was, whatever need had brought him to my door. And crowds of servants I had, and lots of all it takes to live the life of ease to make men call you rich. But Zeus ruined it all, God's will, no doubt, when he shipped me off with a roving band of pirates bound for Egypt, a long, hard sail to wreck my life. There in the Nile Delta I moored our ships of war. God knows I ordered my trusty crews to stand by just where they were and guard the anchored fleet, and I sent a patrol to scout things out from higher ground. But swept away by their own reckless fury, the crew went berserk. They promptly began to plunder the lush Egyptian farms, dragged off the women and children, killed the men. Outcries reached the city in no time, stirred by shouts, the entire town came streaming down at the break of day, filling the river plain with chariots, ranks of infantry, and the gleam of bronze. Zeus, who loves the lightning, flung down murderous panic on all my men-at-arms. No one dared to stand his ground and fight. Disaster ringed us round from every quarter. Droves of my men they hacked down with swords, led off the rest alive to labour for them as slaves. Myself, they passed me on to a stranger come their way to ship it to Cyprus. Iasis's son, Demeter it was, who ruled Cyprus then with an iron fist, and from there I sail to Ithaca, just as you see me now, ground down by pain and sorrow. Good God Almighty! Antinous cut the beggar short. What spirit brought this pest to plague our feast? Back off, into the open, clear of my table, or you, you'll soon land in an Egypt, Cyprus, to break your heart. What a brazen, shameless beggar!
scrounging food from each man in turn, and look at their handouts, reckless, never a qualm, no holding back, not when making free with the next man's goods, each one's got plenty here. Pity, pity, the wry Odysseus countered, drawing away. No sense in your head to match your handsome looks. You'd grudge your servant a pinch of salt from your own larder, you who lounge at the next man's board, but lack the heart to tear a crust of bread and hand it on to me, though there's God's plenty here. Boiling over, Antinous gave him a scathing look and let fly. Now you won't get out of the hall unscarred, I swear, not after such a filthy string of insults. With that he seized the stool and hurled it. Square in the back it struck Odysseus just under the right shoulder, but he stood up against it, steady as a rock, and staggered by Antinous's blow, just shook his head, silent, his mind churning with thoughts of bloody work. Back he went to the door-sill, crouched, and setting down, his sack about to burst, he faced the suitors, saying, Hear me out, you lords, who court the noble queen. I must say what the heart inside me urges, there's nothing to groan about, no hurt when a man takes a blow as he fights to save his own possessions, cattle or shining flocks. But Antinous struck me all because of my good-for-nothing belly, that, that curse that makes such pain for us poor men. But if beggars have their gods and furies too, let Antinous meet his death before he meets his bride. Enough, stranger, Antinous volleyed back. Sit there and eat in peace, or go get lost, or else, for the way you talk, these young men will hail you up and down the hall by your hands or feet until you're skinned alive. Naked threats. But the rest were outraged, even those brash suitors. One would say to another, Look, Antinous, that was a crime to strike the luckless beggar. Your fate is sealed if he's some god from the blue, and the gods do take on the look of strangers dropping in from abroad, disguised in every way as they roam and haunt our cities, watching over us. All our foul play, all our fair play, too. So they warned, but Antinous paid no heed, and the anguish welled up in Telemachus's breast for the blow his father took. Yet he let no tears go rolling down his face, just shook his head, silent, his mind churning with thoughts of bloody work. But then, when cautious Queen Penelope heard how Antinous struck the stranger there in the halls, she cried out with her serving women round her, May Apollo the archer strike you just as hard! And her housekeeper, Eurynome, added quickly, If only our prayers were granted, then not one of the lot would live to see Dawn climb her throne tomorrow. Dear old woman, alert Penelope replied, They're all hateful, plotting their vicious plots. But Antinous is the worst of all, he's black death itself. Here's this luckless stranger wandering down the halls and begging scraps, hard-pressed by need. And the rest all give the man his fill of food. But that one gives him a footstool, hurled at his right shoulder, hits his back. While she exclaimed among her household women sitting there in her room, Odysseus bent to supper. Penelope called the swineherd in and gave instructions. Go, good Eumaeus, tell the stranger to come at once. I'd like to give him a warm welcome. Ask the man if he's heard some news about my gallant husband or seen him in the flesh. He seems like one who's roved around the world.
My queen, you answered, you mere loyal swineherd, if only the lords would hold their peace a moment. Such stories he tells, he'd charm you to your depths. Three nights, three days I kept him in my shelter. I was the first the fellow stumbled onto, fleeing from some ship, but not even so could he bring his tale of troubles to an end. You know how you can stare at a bard in wonder, trained by the gods to sing and hold men spellbound? How you can long to sit there listening all your life when the man begins to sing? So he charmed my heart, I tell you, huddling there beside me at my fire. He and Odysseus's father go way back, he says, sworn friends, and the stranger hails from Crete, where the stock of old King Minos still lives on, and from Crete he made his way, racked by hardship, tumbling on like a rolling stone until he turned up here. He swears he's heard of Odysseus, just in reach, in rich Thresposian country, still alive, laden with treasure, heading home at last. Go, the cautious queen responded, call him here, so he can tell me his own tale face to face. Our friends can sit at the gates or down the halls and play their games, debauched to their heart's content. Why not? Their own stores, their bread and seasoned wine, lie intact at home, food for their serving men alone. But they, they infest our palace day and night. They butcher our cattle, our sheep, our fat goats, feasting themselves sick, swilling our glowing wine as if there's no tomorrow, all of it squandered. No, there is no man like Odysseus in command to drive this curse from the house. Dear God, if only Odysseus came back home to native soil now, he and his son would avenge the outrage of these men like that. At her last words, Telemachus shook with a lusty sneeze and the sudden outburst echoed up and down the halls. The queen was seized with laughter, calling out to Eumaeus swinged words, Go quickly, bring me this stranger now, face to face. You hear how my son sealed all I said with a sneeze? So let death come down with grim finality on these suitors, one and all, not a single man escape his sudden doom. And another thing, mark my words, I tell you, if I'm convinced that all he says is true, I'll dress him in shirt and cloak, in handsome clothes. Off the swineherd went, following her instructions, made his way to the stranger's side and winged a word. Old friend, our queen wise Penelope summons you, the prince's mother. The spirit moves her now, heartsick as she is, to ask a question or two about her husband. And if she's convinced that all you say is true, she'll dress you in shirt and cloak. That's what you need. The most of all now, bread you can always beg around the country, fill your belly well, they'll give you food, whoever has a mind to. Gladly, Eumaeus, the patient man replied, I'll tell her the whole truth and nothing but, Icarius's daughter, your wise queen Penelope. I know all about that man, it's been my lot to suffer what he's suffered. But I fear the mob's abuse, these rough young bucks, their pride and violence hit the iron skies. Just now that scoundrel, as I went down the halls, harming no one, up and dealt me a jolting blow. And who would raise a hand to save me? Telemachus? Anyone else? No one. So tell Penelope now, anxious as she may be, to wait in the halls until the sun goes down. Then she can ask me all she likes about her husband's journey home. But let her give me a seat close by the fire. The clothes on my back are tatters. Well, you know, you were the first I begged for care and shelter.
Back the swineherd went, following his instructions. Penelope, just as she crossed her threshold, broke out, Didn't you bring him? What's in the vagrant's mind? Fear of someone? Embarrassed by something else? Here in the house is the fellow bashful. A bashful man will make a sorry beggar. You answered your queen, Eumaeus, loyal swineherd. He talks to the point. He thinks as the next man would, who wants to dodge their blows, that brutal crew. He tells you to wait here till the sun goes down. It's better for you, my queen. Then you can talk with the man in private, hear the stranger's news. Nobody's fooled that stranger, wise Penelope said. He sees how things could go. Surely no man on earth can match that gang for reckless, deadly schemes. So she agreed. And now, mission accomplished, back the loyal swineherd went to mix with the suitors. Moving next to the prince, he whispered a parting word, their heads close together so no one else could hear, Dear boy, I must be off to see to the pigs and the whole farm. You're living, mine as well. You're the one to tend, tend to all things here. Look out for your own skin first. Do take care, you mustn't come to grief. Crowds of your own countrymen plot to your death. Let Zeus wipe out the lot before they kill us all. Right you are, old friend, the canny prince replied. Now off you go, once you've had your supper, but come back bright and early. Bring some good sound boars for slaughter. Yes, I'll tend to all things here. I and the deathless gods. And the swineherd sat down again on his polished stool, and once he'd supped and drunk to his heart's content, back he went to his pigs, leaving the royal precincts, still filled with feasters, all indulging now in the joys of dance and song. The day was over. Dusk was falling fast. Book 18 The Beggar King of Ithaca Now along came this tramp, this public nuisance who used to scrounge a living round the streets of Ithaca, notorious for his belly, a ravenous bottomless pit for food and drink. But he had no pith, no brawn, despite the looming hulk that met your eyes. Arneas was his name, so his worthy mother called him at birth, but all the young men called him Iris for short, because he'd hustle messages at any beck and call. Well, he came by to rout the king from his own house and met Odysseus now with a rough, abusive burst. Get off the porch, you old goat, before I haul you off by the leg. Can't you see them give me the wink, all of them here, to drag you out? And so I would, but I've got some pangs of conscience. Up with you, man, or before you know it, we'll be trading blows. A killing look, and the wily old soldier countered, Out of your mind? What damage have I done you? What have I said? I don't grudge you anything. Not if the next man up and gives you plenty. This door sill is big enough for the both of us. You've got no call to grudge me what's not yours. You're another vagrant, just like me, I'd say. And it lies with the gods to make us rich or poor, so keep your fists to yourself. Don't press your luck, don't rile me. Or old as I am, I'll bloody your lips, splatter your chest, and buy myself some peace and quiet for tomorrow. I doubt you'll ever come lumbering back again to the halls of Laertes' royal son, Odysseus. Look who's talking, the beggar rumbled in anger. How this pot-bellied pig runs off at the mouth like an old crone at her oven. Well, I've got a knockout blow in store for him. I'll batter the tramp with both fists, bash every tooth from his jaws. 
I'll litter the ground with teeth like a rogue sow's punished for rooting corn. Belt up, so the lords can see us fight it out. How can you beat a champion half your age? Tongue lashing each other, tempers flaring, there on the polished sill before the lofty doors. And Antinous, that grand prince, hearing them wrangle, broke into gloating laughter, calling to the suitors, Friends, nothing like this has come our way before. What sport some god has brought the palace now, the stranger and Iris, look, they'd battle it out together, fits flying, come, let's pit them against each other, fast. All leapt from their seats with whoops of laughter, clustering round the pair of ragged beggars there, as Eupithes' son Antinous planned the contest. Quiet, my fine friends, here's what I propose. These goat sausages sizzling here in the fire, we pack them with fat and blood to have for supper. Now, whoever wins this bout and proves the stronger, let that man step up and take his pick of the lot. What's more, from this day on, he feasts among us. No other beggar will we allow inside to catch his meals from us. They all cheered, but Odysseus' foxy veteran plotted on. Friends, how can an old man worn down with pain stand up to a young buck? It's just this belly of mine, this troublemaker tempts me to take a licking. So first, all of you swear me a binding oath. Come, not one of you steps in for Iris here. Strikes me a foul blow to pull him through and lays me in the dust. And at that they all mouthed the oath that he required and once they'd vowed they'd never interfere, Prince Telemachus drove the matter home. Stranger, if your spine and fighting pride prompt you to go against this fellow now, have no fear of any suitor in the pack. Whoever fouls you will have to face a crowd. Count on me, your host. And two lords, back me up, Antinous and Eurymachus. Both are men of sense. They all shouted approval of the prince, as Odysseus belted up, roping his rags around his loins, bearing his big rippling thighs, his boxer's broad shoulders, his massive chest and burly arms on full display, as Athena stood beside him, fleshing out the limbs of the great commander. Despite their swagger, the suitors were amazed, gaping at one another, trading forecasts. Iris will soon be ironed out for good. He's in for the beating he begged for all along. Look at the hammer, that old gaffer, just under his rags. Each outcry jolted Iris to the core too late. The servants trussed his clothes up, dragged him on, the flesh on his body quaking now with terror. Antinous rounded on him, flinging insults. You, you clumsy ox, you're better off dead or never born at all, if you cringe at him, paralyzed with fear of an old broken hulk, ground down by the pains that hound his steps. Mark my word, so help me, I'll make it good. If that old relic whips you and wins the day, I'll toss you into a black ship and sail you off to Echetus, the mainland king who wrecks all men alive. He'll lop your nose and ears with his ruthless blade. He'll rip your privates out by the roots, he will, and serve them up to his dogs to bolt down raw. That threat shook his knees with a stronger fit, but they hauled him into the ring. Both men put up their fists with the seasoned fighter Odysseus deeply torn now, should he knock him senseless, leave him dead where he dropped, or just stretch him out on the ground with a light jab? As he mulled things over, that way seemed the best. A glancing blow, the suitors would not detect him. The two men squared off, and Iris hurled a fist at Odysseus's right shoulder as he came through with a hook below the ear, pounding Iris's neck.
smashing the bones inside. Suddenly red blood came spurting out of his mouth, and headlong down he pitched in the dust, howling, teeth locked in a grin, feet beating the ground, and the princely suitors, flinging their hands in the air, died laughing. Grabbing him by the leg, Odysseus hauled him through the porch, across the yard to the outer gate, heaped him against the courtyard wall, sitting slumped, stuck his stick in his hand and gave him a parting shot. Now hold your post! Play the scarecrow to all the pigs and dogs, but no more lording it over strangers, no more playing the beggar king for you, you loathsome fool, or you bring down something worse around your neck. He threw his beggar's sack across his shoulders, torn and tattered, slung from a fraying rope. Then back he went to the sill and took his seat. The suitors ambled back as well, laughing jauntily, toasting the beggar warmly now, those proud young blades, one man egging the other on. Stranger, friend, may Zeus and the other deathless gods fill up your sack with blessings, all your heart desires. You've knocked him out of action, that insatiable tramp. That parasite on the land. Ship him off to Ecatus, fast, the mainland king who wrecks all men alive. Welcome words, and a lucky omen too. Odysseus's heart leapt up. Antinous laid before him a generous goat sausage, bubbling fat and blood. Amphimenus took two loaves from the wicker tray and set them down beside him, drank his health in a golden cup and said, Cheers, old friend, old father. Saddled now as you are with so much trouble, here's to your luck. Great days from this day on. And the one who knew the world replied at length, Amphimenus, you seem like a man of good sense to me. Just like your father, at least I've heard his praises. Nisus of Dulichian, a righteous man and rich, you're his son, they say. You seem well spoken, too. So I will tell you something. Listen, listen closely. Of all the breeds and crawls across the earth, our mother earth breeds nothing feebler than a man. So long as the gods grant him power, spring in his knees, he thinks he will never suffer affliction down the years. But then, when the happy gods bring on the long, hard times, bear them he must against his will and steal his heart. Our lives... Our mood and mind as we pass across the earth turn as the days turn, as the father of men and gods makes each day dawn. I too seemed destined to be a man of fortune once, and a wild wicked swathe I cut indulged my lust for violence, staking all on my father and my brothers. Look at me now. And so I say, let no man ever be lawless all his life. Just take in peace what gifts the gods will send. True, but here I see you suitors plotting your reckless work, carving away at the wealth, affronting the loyal wife of a man who won't be gone from kin and country long. I say he's right at hand, and may some power save you, spirit you home before you meet him face to face the moment he returns to native ground. Once under his own roof, he and your friends, believe you me, won't part till blood has flowed. With that, he poured out honeyed wine to the gods and drank deeply, then restored the cup to the young prince's hands. Amphinomus made his way back through the hall, heart sick with anguish, shaking his head, fraught with grave forebodings. 
but not even so could he escape his fate. Even then Athena had bound him fast to death at the hands of Prince Telemachus and his spear. Now back he went to the seat that he'd left empty. But now the goddess Athena with her glinting eyes inspired Penelope Icarius's daughter, wary, poised, to display herself to her suitors, fan their hearts, inflame them more, and make her even more esteemed by her husband and her son than she had been before. Forcing a laugh, she called her maid. Your enemy? My spirit longs, though it never did till now, to appear before my suitors, loathe them as I do. I'd say a word to my son, too, for his own good, not to mix so much with that pernicious crowd, so glib with their friendly talk, but plotting wicked plots they'll hatch tomorrow. Well said, my child, the old woman answered. All to the point, go to the boy and warn him now. Hold nothing back. But first you should bathe yourself. Give a gloss to your face. Don't go down like that, your eyes dimmed, your cheeks streaked with tears. It makes things worse, this grieving on and on. Your son's now come of age, your fondest prayer to the deathless gods to see him wear a beard. Euronomy, discreet Penelope objected, don't try to coax me, care for me as you do, to bathe myself, refresh my face with oils. Whatever glow I had died long ago. The gods of Olympus snuffed it out that day my husband sailed away in the hollow ships. But please, have Autonui and Hippodomia come and support me in the hall. I'll never brave those men alone, I'd be too embarrassed. Now as the old nurse bustled through the house to give the women orders, call them to the queen, the bright-eyed goddess thought of one more thing. She drifted a sound slumber over Icarius's daughter. Back she sank and slept. Her limbs fell limp and still, reclining there on her couch, all the while Athena, luminous goddess, lavished immortal gifts on her to make her suitors lose themselves in wonder. The divine unguent first. She cleansed her cheeks, her brow, and fine eyes with ambrosia, smooth as the oils the goddess love applies, donning her crown of flowers whenever she joins the graces' captivating dances. She made her taller, fuller in form to all men's eyes, her skin whiter than ivory freshly carved. And now, Athena's mission accomplished, off the bright one went, as bare-armed maids came in from their own quarters, chattering all the way, and sleep released the queen. She woke, touched her cheek with a hand, and mused, Ah, oh, what a marvellous gentle steep enfolding me in the midst of all my anguish! Now if only blessed Artemis sent me a death as gentle, now, this instant, no more wasting away my life, my heart broken in longing for my husband. He had every strength, rising over his countrymen, head and shoulders. Then leaving her well-lit chamber, she descended, not alone. Two of her women followed close behind. That radiant woman, once she reached her suitors, drawing her glistening veil across her cheeks, paused now where a column propped the sturdy roof, with one of her loyal handmaids stationed either side. The suitors' knees went slack, their hearts dissolved in lust, 
All of them lifted prayers to lie beside her, share her bed. But turning toward her son, she warned, Telemachus, your sense of balance is not what it used to be. When you were a boy, you had much better judgment. Now that you've grown and reached your young prime, and any stranger, seeing how tall and handsome you are, would think you the son of some great man of wealth, now your sense of fairness seems to fail you. Consider the dreadful thing just done in our halls. How you let that stranger be so abused. Why, suppose our guests sitting here at peace, here in our house, were hauled and badly hurt by such cruel treatment. You'd be shamed, disgraced in all men's eyes. Mother, Telemachus paused, then answered, I cannot fault your anger at all this. My heart takes note of everything, feels it too, both the good and the bad. The boy you knew is gone. But how can I plan my world in a sane, thoughtful way? These men drive me mad, hedging me round, right and left, plotting their lethal plots, and no one takes my side. Still, this battle between the stranger and Iris hardly went as the suitors might have hoped. The stranger beat him down. If only Father Zeus, Athena, and Lord Apollo, these gallants now, this moment, here in our house, were battered, senseless, heads lolling, knees unstrung, some sprawled in the courtyard, some sprawled outside, slumped like Iris, down at the front gates now, whipped and his head rolling like some drunk. He can't stand up on his feet and stagger home, whatever home he's got. The man's demolished. So Penelope and her son exchanged their hopes. As Eurymachus stepped in to praise the queen, Ah, oh, daughter of Icarius, wise Penelope, if all the princes in Ionian Argos saw you now, what a troop of suitors would banquet in your halls tomorrow at sunrise. You surpass all women in build and beauty refined and steady mind. Oh no, Eurymachus, wise Penelope demurred. Whatever form and feature I had, what praise I'd won, the deathless gods destroyed. That day the Achaeans sailed away to Troy, my husband in their ships. Odysseus, if he could return to tend my life, the renown I had would only grow in glory. Now my life is torment. Look at the griefs some god has loosed against me. I'll never forget the day he left this land of ours. He caught my right hand by the wrist and said gently, Dear woman, I doubt that every Achaean under arms will make it home from Troy, all safe and sound. The Trojans, they say, are fine soldiers too, hurling javelins, shooting flights of arrows, charioteers who can turn the tide like that. When the great leveller war brings on some deadlock, so I cannot tell if the gods will sail me home again. Or I'll go down out there on the fields of Troy, but all things here must rest in your control. Watch over my father and mother in the palace, just as now, or perhaps a little more, when I am far from home. But once you see the beard on the boy's cheek, you wed the man you like and leave your house behind. So my husband advised me then, now it all comes true, a night will come when a hateful marriage falls by lot, this cursed life of mine. Zeus has torn away my joy. But there's something else that mortifies me now. Your way is a far cry from the time-honoured way of suitors locked in rivalry, striving to win some noble woman, a wealthy man's daughter. 
They bring in their own calves and lambs to feast the friends of the bride-to-be, yes, and shower her with gleaming gifts as well. They don't devour the woman's goods scot-free. Staunch Odysseus glowed with joy to hear all this, his wife's trickery luring gifts from her suitors now, enchanting their hearts with suave, seductive words, but all the while with something else in mind. Gifts? Eupythe's son Antinous took her point at once. Daughter of Icarius, sensible Penelope, whatever gifts your suitors would like to bring, accept them. How ungracious to turn those gifts away! We won't go back to our own estates or anywhere else till you have wed the man you find the best. So he proposed, and all the rest agreed. Each suitor sent a page to go and get a gift. Antinous's man brought in a grand resplendent robe, stiff with embroidery, clasped with twelve gold brooches, long pins that clipped into sheathing loops with ease. Eurymachus's man brought in a necklace, richly wrought, gilded, strung with amber and glowing like the sun. Eurydamus's two men came with a pair of earrings, mulberry clusters dangling in triple drops, with a glint to catch the heart. From the halls of Lord Pisander, Polyctor's son, a servant brought a choker, a fine gleaming treasure, and so each suitor in turn laid on a handsome gift. Then the noble queen withdrew to her upper room, a file of waiting ladies close behind her, bearing the gorgeous presence in their arms. Now the suitors turned to dance and song, to the lovely beat and sway, waiting for dusk to come upon them there. And the dark night came upon them, lost in pleasure. They rushed to set up three braziers along the walls to give them light, pile them high with kindling, sear, well-seasoned, just split with an axe, and mixed in chips to keep the torches flaring. The maids of Odysseus, steady man, took turns to keep the fires up, but the king himself, dear to the gods and cunning to the core, gave them orders brusquely. Maids of Odysseus, your master gone so long, quick now, off you go to the room where your queen and mistress waits. Sit with her there and try to lift her spirits, combing wool in your hands or spinning yarn. But I will trim the torches for all her suitors, even if they would like to revel on till morning mounts her throne. They'll never wear me down. I have a name for lasting out the worst. At that the women burst into laughter, glancing back and forth. Flushed with beauty, Melantho mocked him shamelessly. Dolius was her father, but Penelope brought her up. She treated her like her own child and gave her toys to cheer her heart, but despite that her heart felt nothing for all her mistress's anguish now. She was Eurymachus's lover, always slept with him. She was the one who mocked her king and taunted, Cock of the walk! Did someone beat your brains out? Why not go to bed down at the blacksmith's cosy forge? or a public place where tramps collect. Why here, blithering on non-stop, bold as brass in the face of all these lords? No fear in your heart? Wine's got to your wits? Or do you always play the fool and babble nonsense? Lost your head, have you, because you drubbed that hobo, Iris? You wait. A better man than Iris will take you on. He'll box both sides of your skull with heavy fists and cart you out of the palace, gushing blood. You wait, you bitch. The hardened veteran flashed a killing look. I'll go straight to the prince with your foul talk. The prince will chop you to pieces here and now. His fury sent the women fluttering off, scattering down the hall with panic shaking every limb. They knew 
he spoke the truth. But he took up his post by the flaring braziers, tending the fires closely, looking after them all, though the heart inside him stirred with other things, ranging ahead now to all that must be done. But Athena had no mind to let the brazen suitors hold back now from their heart-rending insults. She meant to make the anguish cut still deeper into the core of Laertes' son Odysseus. Polybus's son Eurymachus launched in first, baiting the king to give his friends a laugh. Listen to me, you lords who caught our noble queen, I simply have to say what's on my mind. Look, surely the gods have fetched this beggar here to Odysseus's house. At least our torchlight seems to come from the sheen of the man's own head. There's not a hair on his bald pate, not a wisp. Then he wheeled on Odysseus' radar of cities, Stranger, how would you like to work for me if I took you on? I'd give you decent wages, picking the stones to lay a tight, dry wall, or planting tall trees on the edge of my estate. I'd give you rations to last you year round, clothes for your body, sandals for your feet. Oh, now you've learned your lazy ways too well. You've got no itch to stick to good hard work. You'd rather go scrounging round the countryside, begging for crusts to stuff your greedy gut. Oh, Eurymachus, Odysseus, master of many exploits, answered firmly. If only the two of us could go, man to man, in the labours of the field, in the late spring, where the long days come round out in the meadow, I swinging a well-curved scythe, and you swinging yours, we'd test our strength for work, fasting right till dusk with lots of hay to mow, or give us a team of oxen to drive, purebreds, hulking, ruddy beasts, both lusty with fodder, paired for age, and pulling power that never flags, with four acres to work, the loam churning under the plough, you'd see what a straight, unbroken furrow I could cut you then. Or if Zeus would bring some battle on, out of the blue, this very day, and give me a shield and two spears and a bronze helmet, to fit this soldier's temples, then you'd see me fight, where front ranks clash, no more mocking this belly of mine, not then. Enough. You're sick with pride, you brutal fool. No doubt you count yourself a great powerful man because you sport with a puny crowd, ill-bred to boot. If only Odysseus came back home and stood right here, in a flash you'd find those doors, broad as they are, too cramped for your race to safety through the porch. That made Eurymachus's fury seethe and burst. He gave the beggar a dark look and let fly. You, you, odious, I'll make you pay for your ugly rant. Bold as brass in the face of all these lords, no fear in your heart. Wine's got to your wits, or do you always play the fool and babble nonsense? Lost your head, have you, because you dropped that hobo, Iris? As he shouted, he seized a stool, but Odysseus, fearing the blow, crouched at Amphimenes' knees, as Eurymachus hurled and hit the wine-steward, clipping his right hand. His cup dropped, clattered along the floor, and flat on his back he went, groaning in the dust. The suitors broke into uproar through the shadowed halls, glancing at one another, trading angry outcries. Would to God this drifter had dropped dead anywhere else before he landed here! then he'd never have loosed such pandemonium. Now we're squabbling over beggars. No more joy in the sumptuous feast. Now riot rules the day. But now Prince Telemachus dressed them down. Fools, you're out of your minds. No hiding it. Food and wine have gone to your heads. Some god has got your blood up. Come, 
Now you've eaten well, go home to bed. When the spirit moves, that is, I for one, I'll drive no guest away. So he declared, and they all bit their lips, amazed the prince could speak with so much daring. At last Amphinomus rose to take the floor, the noted son of Nisus, King Aretes's grandson. Fair enough, my friends, when a man speaks well, we have no grounds for wrangling, no cause for abuse. Hands off the stranger, and any other servant in King Odysseus's palace. Come, steward, pour first drops for the god in every cup, let's make libations, then go home to bed. The stranger? Leave him here, in Odysseus's halls, and have his host Telemachus tend him well. It's the prince's royal house the man has reached. So he said. His proposal pleased them all. And gallant Mulius, a herald of Dulichian, a friend in arms of Lord Anthinimus too, mixed the men a bowl, and hovering closely poured full rounds for all. They tipped cups to the blissful gods, and then libations made, they drank the heady wine to their heart's content, and went their ways to bed, each suitor to his house. Book 19 Penelope and Her Guest That left the great Odysseus waiting in his hall, as Athena helped him plot the slaughter of the suitors. He turned at once to Telemachus, brisk with orders, now we must stow the weapons out of reach, my boy, all the armors and armor, and when the suitors miss them and ask you questions, put them off with a winning story. I stowed them away, clear of the smoke, a far cry from the arms Odysseus left when he went to Troy, fire-damaged equipment, black with reeking fumes, and a god reminded me of something darker, too. When you're in your cups, a quarrel might break out. You'd wound each other, shame your feasting here, and cast a pall on your courting. Iron has powers to draw a man to ruin.